2: Welcome to Wood Talk Now here are three guys who like to use a lot of words Yet say nothing at all Mark, Shannon, and
0: Matt Alright, it's Wood Talk number 408 For 9 2017 And on today's show We're talking about large table sizing How we charge for our work And work sharp sharpening But Before we get to the topics, I do want to mention that the show is sponsored today by Bruso Hardware. Uh, Bruso Hardware, you guys know them. We talk about them a lot. They make fantastic stuff. You want to check out their Photo Extra newsletter. It's a weekly update from Bruso dedicated to customer submitted photos. Bruso's customers work on detailed projects including ring boxes, humidors, keepsakes, gun boxes, and furniture. It's an excellent source of inspiration for your next project. The newsletter is short, quick, has great photos, and is delivered right to your inbox. So just go to brusocom slash photo extra, all one word, photo extra, and you can sign up for that. Get it straight to your inbox. I could always use more inspiration, some nice pretty pictures with some sweet hardware on it.
1: I could always use more email. I mean, <laughs> wait. Let's wait a minute.
0: Uh, <laughs> never mind
1: unsubscribe no
0: seriously good stuff you want to go out there check it out uh, thanks again to Bruso for sponsoring the show and uh, we have to thank some individuals I did a poor job of preparing for that let me get hold on there it is uh, Kyle Campbell and Patrick Odelstorp both of those folks went to patreon.com slash woodtalk and helped us out with a recurring donation and uh, got a little something in return for it so speaking of Patreon Shannon we have some news
1: yeah well first of all <clears throat> Matt's not here oh yeah that's <laughs> just Matt's in jolly old that. England eating strumpets and scones I didn't even notice strumpets and strones and, and strumpets and scones
0: and uh, bangers and mash yeah yeah it's uh it's gonna be an interesting week yeah he's uh He's doing that stuff for Triton. We talked about it on the last show, so he is um, enjoying himself over there. I think he's very tired, actually. (laughs) The time change is a little bit rough, Uh, but he obviously, we don't want him to have to deal with Skype calls and hotel internet connections and all that fun stuff. So he's not going to be on the next couple of shows.
1: If he knows what's good for him, he will never complain about being tired because his wife is home alone with two kids.
0: Ah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, good point. Very good point. Uh, But anyway, yeah, so he's not going to be here. Uh, And we do have some news, and this is not necessarily good news, but it is uh, news by necessity. So there will be some changes to to Wood Talk and to uh, the Patreon campaign that was very closely associated with this new schedule that we had uh, over the past year. Uh, What it comes down to, and I'm going to take 100% of the blame for this, I got to a point after the break that we just took in uh, what uh, late August I got to a point that I really didn't want to do the show anymore, and it's not that I, I don't or Maybe that's the bad way to say it. I do want to do the show.
1: <laughs> I just
2: don't want to do the show.
0: But it's becoming, it's becoming much more difficult for me to do the show. Uh, as my kids get older, my home responsibilities increase. We keep adding things to my work plate, but we never take anything away. And that's only sustainable for so long. And unfortunately, you know, if I have to chop something away, Wood Talk is that thing because it is, out of all the things that I do, as much fun as it is, business-wise, it doesn't necessarily yield as much in the way of results as other things that I do. And it comes down to, like, would the average person who follows what I do prefer I spend my time on Wood Talk or uh, making videos, you know, which is my primary bread and butter um, so it just got to a point where I was not looking forward to the show. Uh, we have Think about what we do now. We do three shows a week, basically, and it takes up the entire Monday. And that's that's a big hit because I know my Friday's already taken up, so that leaves me with about three days to get all my work done during the week. And that's just not sustainable. So I uh, talked to the guys. They kind of talked me down off the edge a little bit to say, hey, look, there are things we could probably do to make this easier on us. You've
1: assumed the Vanderlust role now. We have the 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 mat-a-pause, the Marco Pause conversation yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, this this but this was purely
0: my guilt. <laughs> like I'm not going to just kill the show without you know, consulting with you guys. And it was like, okay, clearly they're not ready to let this go. (laughs) So uh so we're gonna keep going. But here's the deal: Uh, the 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 long story made short is that we are simplifying what Wood Talk is. We are going back to a simple weekly schedule. We have gone to a simpler recording schedule, which has nothing to do with you guys. It's our internal organization of this stuff that makes me gain my Mondays back. Right. So we're lumping everything that kills the workday into Fridays. So Friday will always be shot, but at least I have Monday through Thursday now. Uh, and it, and it should be sustainable for a lot longer. Um, so what's going to happen along with this is there will be no email extra and there will be no co host. Oh, look at that. Oh, Kenny. He's such a big boy now. Look at him.
1: He's sitting here whining. So if well, whining comes through, it's his fault.
0: He's upset about the schedule change and uh, the wood talk changes. Um, so unfortunately, those things are going, but um, we will still be committing to our regular weekly schedule like we have done for years. And you know what? That that, that crazy schedule we just had, that was fun. It was fun while it lasted. And, uh, and I just don't feel like it's sustainable for me personally. Um, and I think if we really want to play the long game here, you know, cause we're already 10 years into this. <laughs> you want, if we're going to, we're going <laughs> to go for 20. Game? Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. if we're going for 20, here's what we need to do. So yeah. So at least for now, the show is not going away, but we are reducing the output. So I know it's going to be disappointing to some people, but it's probably less disappointing than if I were saying right now that we are not doing the show anymore at all. Right. That's, that's the way I'm looking at it. So <laughs> yeah, So there it is. Got that off my chest. But anyway, so we still do have the Patreon campaign. You may want to go there and just double check what's happening in terms of the Patreon rewards. I don't want anyone to be upset if they felt that they had a bait and switch because they expected one thing and got something else. So please go to patreon.com slash woodtalk, double check your reward levels, make sure you have what you think you have, and then make changes or adjustments as you feel appropriate for the situation. Okay?
1: And I I don't think that you should take 100% of the blame. All right, you can take 100% of the blame. But I mean- It's been exhausting. There's no question. We, we all have our businesses that we run. I've got my business that I run and then this W-2 job thing. And, yeah, it's it's exhausting. Um, but I, I think what should come through in this is – You know, we spent, what, an hour before we recorded the the last show um, on Monday? God, that was just Monday. (laughs) It's been a long week already. Yeah. But we spent a lot of time talking about what kind of compromises we can make and do everything we can to keep this show going. So it's definitely not a, it's not a, oh, I don't want to do this show anymore. It's exactly the opposite. It's, you know, how do we keep it alive? How do we keep it exciting? How do we keep it fun? Because, I don't know, I think you could look back in the history and go. There was probably a time where we weren't having as much fun, and I think the show probably wasn't as good. Yeah. And then we found it again, and the show became a heck of a lot better. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I agree, and that's the thing. It's it's a high point for the show. I mean, I know <laughs> you some, need sunglasses, Mark.
0: I do. It's it's bright, and I'm what, I, what I'm looking at <laughs> is the wasp that's flying in right near the window here, that will probably land in my eyeball and sting me. Okay, cool. Because they aim for the eyeballs, you know. Yeah, another reason why you should watch live. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, much more right. interesting. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that the, the, we really are in a high point here in terms of engagement and stuff like that. And it really was hurting me that the audience perception and uh, the reaction to something like this was the thing I was worried the most about. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad we can still continue to do it. But hopefully folks understand that this is, is mostly a personal thing for me. And obviously, you guys are, are you know rushed and have scheduled conf conflicts and things like that too. Um, but it certainly was becoming really problematic for me, and I needed to do something. So at least this is something. The show will go on, at least for now. <laughs> so there's that.
1: Oh, wow, he's got to throw
0: that little warning in there, at least for now. At least for now, you know. I don't want to make you know false promises, but for now, we're still doing the show. Okay, so let's get to what's on the bench. I have finished my garden gate. That was a project that was started when Cremona was here. Uh, finally got all the coats of finish, got that thing assembled. And once it was together, I actually brought in the, the bathroom scale and plopped that thing on top. And it is a um, pretty solid 100-pound gate. So wow. fairly substantial. So what I did was uh, put three hinges on there. Each one of these hinges is rated for about, oh, I think 50 to 60 pounds. so I think I'm well within the range by having three of them I have the capacity I need Um, my biggest concern is actually the hinges going into the posts that are the supports on my walls outside those are are original I did not change those I'm just putting the gate in place of the old gate so I'm not sure how well those are going to hold up over time and I may need to replace them as well Uh, but for now the gate is swinging everything is nice and uh, sturdy and I'm loving it it looks really good
1: I'm That's awesome. It blade. looks
0: fantastic. It turned out okay. And I think the weird thing about this, and I either a question either this week or for next week's show, I've got a question about what it's like to build out of square intentionally, you know, when you're not used to mm-hmm. doing that type of thing. So I'll talk a little bit more about that when, uh, when the time comes. Um, the other thing is I am working on, <laughs> The free guild, uh, the free tier of the guild, the picture frame content, it's just a mountain of content just from when Matt was here and even after he left, I continued to film some stuff. It's just a ton of material to go through yeah. and it all has to be prepped for whenever we decide to launch this thing. Um, so I haven't had a chance to get all that done but that's actually what's uh, keeping yeah. me busy these days. And one last thing, we are having the guild project sales again this year. We did that last year. It worked out really well. Uh, each week, For the weekend only, we will be putting one guild project on sale and people have just throughout the weekend to get 30% off Mm -hmm. of that particular project. So this week it is the, um, I'm trying to think, this is going to be on Monday, so I don't know what the next one is because it was the shaker table for the weekend. Most people won't hear this until Monday or Tuesday, so whatever the next project is, you'll find out about it on Friday. (laughs) But this will be going all the way through till Christmas,
1: which is kind of Wow. So you're 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 just like department stores. You've got your Christmas decorations up in September.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we already got the Halloween stuff put away. It, we're yeah. like we're on to the the Thanksgiving and Christmas stuff, so. Nice. It's all good.
1: Right on. Yeah. That's cool. Well, things have gotten uh, if I thought things were busy cuz you're in this now preparing for a launch. Uh, I thought things were busy preparing for a product launch and editing the mountains and mountains of video. But mm-hmm. I'm back to work now. And I got three projects starting to pile up on my bench all of a sudden. No matter what I do to avoid working on multiple projects at once, there's just no way. Mm-hmm. If I want to continue to keep hand tool Cool stuff and Renaissance woodworker stuff going, it just got to happen. So yeah. um, I have a couple of uh, nine quarter pieces of uh, 15 inch wide walnut sitting on the bench right now. I'm going to make a stake stool. So if you remember back in Jan- January, yeah, I did a group build with a bunch of guys in the hand tool school. We built a, a bookcase and I did the whole thing live. We're going to do another one this fall mm-hmm. and I'm going to build a staked stool. So, um, you know, imagine Windsor chair, tapered tenons, tapered mortises and uh, a big kind of um, slab seat, maybe a little Maloofish carving mm, on it. Nice. Um you know, kind of that look, it's a, a I'm in my mind, I'm envisioning a cross between Maloof and Windsor, um, but just a stool, no back or anything like that. Um, So that I don't exactly know when that's coming up, most likely October, middle of October, something like that. But uh, the plan is to, again, build the whole thing live. Um We'll see nice. how well that goes. <laughs> Um, So I'm just getting – bringing the lumber from the shed, letting it acclimate a little bit. At the same time, I'm cutting up walnut to build the Chippendale mirror for the hand tool school. So Mm. I'm really excited about that because it's been a while since I get to play with veneer. And I've got some really, really cool crotch-figured walnut veneer. And I'm doing fretwork and stuff with that. It's going to be really fun. And then if if that wasn't enough, I used a track saw. (laughs) Mm. And I cut up some plywood because – I got to do my sharpening station redesign mainly just so I can get this dang plywood out of the way. <laughs> yeah. it's it's like leaning up against the wall, and I found myself digging through it to get to stuff enough times. I was like, "All right, that's enough. We're going to build this sharpening station because ultimately it's it's a you know a plywood box right. that right. I may even pocket hole screw together. I don't care. <gasps> I just want to get it done. No, you know, it's, yeah. it's it's pocket hole screw joinery on really high quality a faced cherry plywood. So why go. not? You know, nothing wrong but with it, that. It's the plywood I've got left over from um gosh, woodworkers finding cancer the kids table, kids table chair chairs. build. Yeah, was yeah. that last year or 2 years ago? Uh
0: that was 2. Ooh. Yeah.
1: No, that was last year. Was it? Okay, that well, still. It's it's like half a sheet left over from that build. Wow. And uh it's just it's got to get out of the way and it's gorgeous plywood so I might as well put it to use on something. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm hoping actually to get most of that box built this weekend depending on how life goes around here, but yeah, it's it's busy in here. I'm <laughs> loving it. Kind of nice. nice you I know, mean, well, do, you, do you like having the multiple project thing going? Kind of, sort of. I mean, I love the initial stages of a project. I love the planning. I love the kind of like breaking down stock into parts and you know, doing grain and color matching type work. Mm-hmm. I think once I get like into the nitty gritty, I start to change my tune a little. Yeah. And then what happens is one gets shelved and I just focus on one project at a time. But yeah. um, the cool thing is, is like the steak stool, there's really not a lot to it. Mm-hmm. It's carving a seat you know, arriving some legs and, and drilling a couple mortises and that's it, you Mm -hmm. know? So that's one that, um, because it's going to be built live, there's not really going to interfere with anything. Mm Just going to kind of not do other work for however many days, the two or three days that it takes to build it. Um, the, the mirror that's got a lot more details in it. Um, but hopefully the other ones, you know, the, the sharpening station one will just be done and out of the way. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see.
0: Yeah. I'm not a fan of it. Like the last few months have been just by necessity working on multiple things at the same time and stuff's just not totally complete. And I've had anywhere from two to sometimes three different projects going on at the same time. And I guess if we were just woodworking and not documenting, it wouldn't be so bad. But the fact that I have to right. organize, I even had one point, four different memory cards going because I like to keep all of my content specifically you know, on a single memory card. So I had right. this little board where I wrote each project on it and had the memory card, the appropriate memory card sitting on top of it so I wouldn't get confused. I do not like that. I like to focus on a single task, get that thing done, and then go to the next one. So that's why I'm super relieved right now. There's nothing uh, in the shop. Uh, The Adirondack chairs are refinished. Those are outside now. The garden gate is installed. That's done. And I don't have to think about anything until I decide what the next project is. So my brain does not like to multitask when it comes to big projects.
1: Yeah, I I I'm definitely with you and I think a lot of it comes out of, you know, the orientation semester that they did for the Angelo school was four projects. Now one of them the bench was already done, but in a course of a week I built three projects and, you know, had to have it all built filmed before I left Maine again. So maybe I'm just in that mode right now, and I was <laughs> the same way. I had like six different memory cards rocking, one for each project, one for like, you know, lesson videos one for like sales mm-hmm. and like miscellaneous videos and mm-hmm. you know what i always love is sd cards they have that little space for like the blank line to write on it <laughs> yeah what magical thing actually writes on those surfaces and doesn't rub off the only the thing i ones, get to actually one... show up is sharpie but then it rubs off every time i pick the thing up it's yeah ridiculous. it's the
0: ones that you write on a grain of rice with you know when <laughs> yeah you, it's I that mean, type of thing
1: <laughs> pencil doesn't work ballpoint pen doesn't work like why did you put this space here if it's so I've, I've actually gone to every woodworker's favorite solution, blue tape, a little blue tape over it and <laughs> nice. use a fine point Sharpie to keep track of them all. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. Cool. It was funny as we were packing up tools and coming home and um, we were in a rest stop somewhere. Oh, we, we pulled over to watch the eclipse somewhere okay. in Massachusetts. And um, we had a rest stop and walking away and I was like, oh, yeah, we just left the car unlocked. My first thought was, I don't care about the tools in the back of my car. I don't care about any of that stuff. I just care about memory cards. (laughs) 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 I can buy more tools. I can't replace those memory cards right now. Can't replace content (laughs) that's been filmed. (laughs) It's like 128 gigs of irreplaceable stuff there. Totally. Can't do
0: it. All right, let's get to our kickback here. You guys sent some feedback in on uh, things we talked about in the past. and The first one here is from Zev, and he's got some miter saw kickback.
2: Hey guys, Zev uh, here. Oh,
0: hold on. Let me. I think my audio settings are whacked out. Hang on a second. I might have to edit this out later. Depends on how lazy I am. Let's see if Sound this like works. That was playing
1: in your shop. It was.
0: It was playing out of the speakers.
1: It's like
0: Queens, Nicole just
2: walked by. Is that
1: her just, voice? Uh,
0: give- All right, is this better? This should do it.
2: Hey guys, uh, Zev here from Queens, New York. Just uh, calling to give a little bit of kickback on the miter saw discussion from last week's show. Um... I have the Bosch 12-inch uh, glide miter saw. Was able to get pretty decent results, not amazing, but you know, I enjoyed having the additional capacity and depth of cut. Um I work out of my small one-car detached garage, so I uh I'm always looking for ways to maximize my space. Um a while back I decided to uh, get rid of my conventional workbench and move to the Festool MFT. And part of my thought process was is that I can get the uh, track saw and using that in conjunction with the MFT will hopefully give me better results uh, than I was getting with my miter saw. And to eliminate uh, the need for the miter saw at all, and I could just take the track saw and put it on a shelf when not in use. Um, I went with the TS seventy-five from Festool for the additional uh, depth of cut, so I'm not, you know, too far off from the twelve inch. Although there have been a few situations where that additional depth of cut would have been nice, especially on, you know, angled cuts and very thick boards. Um, as of now, I am getting much better results in terms of accuracy, repeatability, and I see no reason for me to ever go back to a miter saw. I'm actually looking to sell my current Bosch. It's just been in my attic for the last few months and I've had no desire to use it. Um, Yep, that's just my thought. I don't really see a place for a miter saw in a fine wood shop. There's just so many better ways to do it. I I have a small job site table saw, so it's not really big enough to get um, decent uh, results with a cross-cut sled. Also, the aluminum tabletop just doesn't lend itself to a ton of accuracy on the miter slot, so I wasn't able to get great uh, cross-cut results, so I just needed to look elsewhere for that. Alright, keep up the uh, good work, guys, and thanks so much. Take care. Bye.
0: Awesome. Thanks for that, and uh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> it, was, it had something <laughs> in my
1: head, and now it is completely gone, so... Okay. Well, right. let's look at this from a different perspective, from a pro's perspective. This comes yes. from Todd Klippinger, Um, What, American Craftsman Workshop?
0: American Craftsman Workshop.
1: Yeah. Um, Todd says, I'm jumping on the miter saw topic here from the perspective of the trades. And the shops and on the job sites, there is no debate or question about it. The miter saw is the go-to machine and the way to make the cut. Yes, sometimes we make a sled or carriage for something, especially thick or big, and run it across the table saw. But generally speaking, the sliding compound miter saw is the workhorse for cutting parts when building a project. The projects I'm talking about are high-end built-ins, trim, furniture for multi-million dollar homes, exclusive country clubs and churches. Exclusive churches? I don't know. Isn't that against the whole thing of church? Shouldn't they... Uh, I think it depends on which church you go to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless you're Joel Austin and there's a hurricane. Um, for these types of clients and what they're paying, the demand and pressure for excellence is high. These definitely fall into the fine woodworking category, and the parts are cut on the miter saw, most often a slider. I'm not sure why so many in the woodworking community have such a bad experience or carry a disparaging view of the miter saw, yet they are relied on and embraced by the craftsmen doing custom high-end work. I know that some woodworkers don't want a miter saw in their shop. It's not part of the experience they want. I definitely respect that. But if the question is, does the miter saw have a place in the fine woodworking shop? I think the answer is yes. It's a very practical and productive tool. And the number of craftsmen making a living with miter saws that are doing high-end custom work proves they are effective and definitely worthy of the woodworking shop. Well said, Todd. Yeah. Well said.
0: It's always good to get that perspective. The The thing about it, and if I'm trying to figure out what is the reason why – Folks have the problem.
1: I think one of the issues is it's not folks; it's hobby woodworkers. Hobby woodworkers, have we just like to complain. We have,
0: we have problems with everything.
1: <laughs> we got too much time on our hands, so we
0: armchair woodwork. Too much time, too much money. <laughs> you know, not enough going on. Uh, basically, I, yeah. I think it comes down to that that standard crosscut. Okay, So if you are using the miter saw to do things like cut, uh, trim, molding, you're doing installs, you're on site, yeah, it makes perfect sense because it's portable and it's easy to use and you could just very quickly get uh, bevel and miter angles uh, to, to suit whatever the, the, the project calls for. But in the wood shop, we kind of have an expectation for these, these really accurate 90 degree crosscuts and really wide crosscuts. And that's where things start to fall apart a little bit and where that on site installer probably isn't doing as much that concerns a perfect 90 on a 10 inch wide panel. You know what I mean? That's something that we're going to do a lot in the home shop uh, or in a small shop but not necessarily something you're going to do as much on the job site and if you are, that edge probably isn't nearly as critical that it be perfect and I think that's where things start to, to fall apart a little bit between what the, the pros are doing versus what people like me do in the shop. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I
1: mean, built-ins and built-in type work is always different than freestanding furniture. Yeah. Um, You know, and, and, and generally there are no such things as 90 degrees and everything has a back bevel on it so that it seats cleanly, you know, against an inside corner, regardless of what that that corner is. I mean, Mm -hmm. the people that that Todd is talking about, these are my customers by day, you know, multi million dollar, hundred million dollar homes to people whose names that, you know, you know, and they're they're using they just spent two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars on lumber alone. So I I totally get what he's talking about. So, you know, it's it's kind of a different world. It's all fine woodworking.
0: Yeah, Sure. And it also, I think a lot of it comes down to the person who's using the tool. Uh, you're talking about these installers who have tons of experience who are out there. Just yeah. It it almost, for those guys, probably doesn't even matter what the numbers on the tool say. They're going to get right. that thing lined up to cut exactly on the angle they need it to be because they're good and they know how to utilize that tool. So I think that's there's also an experience difference that leads to that tool being more useful to them. Okay, uh, let's get to our voicemail here. Got a voicemail cre- question. Question from Christopher. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, Harry or otherwise, I don't judge. (laughs) This is Chris from downstate Illinois, and I have a question for you. You guys talk an awful lot about high-end tools, uh, Festool and Powermatic, things like that. And you also bring up lower-end things, such as Harbor Freight. But you don't mention a whole lot of the in-between, the average man's working tools. You would find at Home Depot, Lowe's, Renards. Things like Dewalt or Porter Cable, maybe even Craftsman, Black and Decker. I wonder what you guys suggest, what you don't suggest, What's your opinion of some of these companies. I would appreciate any information you would give me. I value your opinion and respect it. Thank you. He has sort of a uh, airline pilot thing going on <laughs> with his voice, right? Yeah, we're cruising at about 10,000 feet and if you look down on your left, you'll see uh, there's a Harbor Freight down there and uh, this is his approach. I would love to hear him say more.
1: Please keep your arms and legs inside the Harbor Freight at all times. Christopher. As you cheap tools will have shifted.
0: Leave us more messages, man. This is fantastic. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay, so middle ground. And I think we do mention these things. I think it's a matter of what we have in our shops, right? Um, yeah. Here's the thing. Matt is using Triton. I wouldn't necessarily call Triton a higher end tool, and I definitely wouldn't call it a lower end tool. Uh, I would say they are firmly in that contractor grade, decent quality tool. And yeah. uh, you know, I'm using a Bosch miter saw, uh, and downgraded from from the Festool Capex You know, and I've got um, a Bosch router that I'm using that is really good. So I mean, we we do kind of touch in and out on these things, but it's it's really a matter of as individuals, what do we have in our shops, and that's generally mm-hmm. what we're going to talk about. So. That said, any initial—I mean—I know you're not Mr. Power Tool guy at all anymore, <laughs> Shannon. But
1: uh, your perceptions well, I mean, from, of like from a hand tool perspective, the reason we don't talk about it is they don't exist. I mean, Wood River, maybe. You know, um, it, from a hand tool world, we are we're on polar opposites. You know, you've got absolute crap—the footprint hand plane. Yeah. You know, the unfortunately Buck Brothers. You Buck Brothers used to be a great company. Vintage stuff is great, but go to Home Depot now and buy a Bruck Brothers hand plane and you just have a paperweight, you know? So there's no, there doesn't seem to be any other alternative other than Veritas, you know, Lee Nielsen. I guess Lee Nielsen is now middle of the road because you've got Sauer and Steiner sitting out there. Yeah. Ron Brees, the, the you know, super on the super premium side of things. Yeah. I, I think Wood River is probably the place to, to be there. I mean, and if you are a buy American through and through, then it's not an option for you because it's the Chinese knockoff manufactured tool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, from the power tool perspective, it's interesting because I never really thought of like Porter Cable or DeWalt. And it's funny because those are all the same company. He's like, I respect these companies. And <laughs> it's Black all and Decker, one company. <laughs> Porter Cable, DeWalt, <laughs> yeah, Delta. It's, it's all, all the same, same company. Parent. It's headquartered down the street from me in Towson, yeah, Maryland. Great funny. place. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I guess they have levels within it like Black and Decker was kind of like the lower end of things, Dewalt was always that contractor professional grade type thing. Porter Cable was right there with Dewalt, I think, you know. Mm-hmm. Um when you get to handheld power tools, I think they're kind of all on the same spot. You know, you have I guess Harbor Freight brand, mm-hmm. but um I, I've been into one Harbor Freight in my life. I didn't even realize there was one nearby me until like a couple months ago. So call me I, I guess I'm a Harbor Freight snob, but um, I, I, I never really drew the distinction. I kind of always crapped on craftsmen just because, you know, you, I don't know. Well, who doesn't it just because I've had <laughs> bad experiences with it. That's yeah, why. Yeah, of course. I had a I had a craftsman um miter saw that I could not get um uh, square or plumb no matter what I did. You mm-hmm. know, um, but I've had great experiences with Dewalt tools, and I've never really thought of them as. Low grade. I just thought they were the solution, you know. Um, when you get in into handheld power tools, Festool certainly I think would be at the upper end of things. Everything else kind of sits in the same boat, if you ask me. You know, Bosch. It's, that's
0: very interesting, and you're totally right. It isn't that you know the middle class is the main class, and yeah, then there's one <laughs> there's one outlier.
1: Yeah, I mean, can you think of Festool? Certainly, is there another router? Hitachi, no, no, I mean, probably
0: not in the routers, but there are things like um, what's that other company, Maffel, or is that oh. how you pronounce that, Maffel? Yeah,
1: right. Uh, that's a German company too. Maybe so, it's just maybe it's just the Germans.
0: I mean, I'm just looking Petitious right now. Germans. Toolnut has their jigsaw for seven hundred and sixty-five dollars. Uh, they've got wow. a track saw that's eight hundred and seventy. So we're definitely talking about you know Festool level uh, pricing. And I know I've heard a lot of good things about their quality, but you know it, it's it's. All, P- Price-wise, it's on par with uh, mm-hmm. with the Festool stuff. So uh, aside from those two, maybe there's some other obscure company. You're right, in that portable power tool market, there just isn't anything for that. You go back to like yeah. uh, Todd's- his message about the, the, the miter saw, this is the type of tooling we're talking about that those people working in other people's homes who need those portable tools, they're all working in those mid-range tools and it's only a, a select few. I mean, I'm sure there's there's enough out there. I saw a guy working on the house across the street using a Capex. Um, they're out there, but I think at least in the US, it, they favor most of the traditional, what we're in this conversation calling mid-range construction brands.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I suppose when you start to get into stationary power tools, the game changes and that's yeah. where the, you know, but and, and that's where you could look at Delta. See, I hate to call Delta a middle. I had a Delta table saw for years. Fantastic tool. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a contractor saw. So maybe that's the, the distinction, you know, cabinet contractor benchtop. But, yeah, I think um, those same
0: those same mid-range companies, again, we're thinking contractor, there's not as much use for a full-size cabinet saw. Right, so exactly all those companies are making your your portable job site saws and contractor saws. Uh, but then you go to companies like you know your Powermatics, and, and there were, there are quite a few of these companies who have their toes in that higher end, I guess you call it a higher end, um, but they don't do as much in the contractor grade space.
1: Yeah. Well, that gets interesting too, because you can look at Grizzly and go, okay. Price-wise, they're, I guess, the lower end, but the <laughs> fact of the matter is, you have a 20-inch Powermatic planer, right? Mm, 15. 15. Okay. Well, I have the 20-inch Grizzly. If I had the 15-inch Grizzly, forget about the size. It's, it's the same planer. It's got yeah. a different mo- motor. You have, a what, a Baldor US-made motor on that? Probably. That's and a gold paint does. job. It's the exact same body design. Mm-hmm. It probably was assembled in the same plant, just on to come a different out of day factory. with a different coat of paint, basically. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you you look at you look at those differences, and and uh, I don't know, man. It's it price is the only difference, and uh, maybe there's a little bit different quality issue, fit and finish on mm-hmm. the Powermatic, but I mean this this grizzly thing I've got is. A, beast and it's a well put together machine. It was like dead, dead nuts on. Um, I even bought a feeler gauge and I kicked myself cause I didn't need it yeah. cause it was already set up. Right. You know, I'm sure results may vary, but, um, but you know, is there such a thing as a middle of the road stationary power tool? Mm. Yeah. And I think you would only be able to do
0: that by, by outlining the prices. Look, I don't even know that yeah. this is a reflection on quality, but you could look at the most expensive. Let's say you're, let's just look at table saws. You're looking at your saw stop as one of the more expensive. But then we have the same problem where there's a big jump, if you want to call it, I'm not going to call it super premium because it's kind of just a different format. But what if you jump into the world of sliders and you look yeah. at a felder, for instance, which is significantly more expensive and higher quality? generally speaking mm-hmm. than all of the brands that we have to work with here in the U S is like cabinet grade standard cabinet saws. Yeah.
1: It's weird. I think, I think it's less of a middle road, high road and more of demographic. You know, yeah. when we look at those handheld power tools, they are targeted for the, the, the Todd Clippingers of the world, the guys on a job site mm-hmm. turning out good quality stuff, you know, so they need a, a repeatable precise tool Um, That is affordable and is mobile, you know, and then you get into like the shop based craftsmen who um, if they're on a production line, if it's a high end, um, high production type thing, like a Mm -hmm. millwork house, they're going up to a different model just because it's about production. It's about speed. It's about, you know, durability. You get to the independent furniture maker or maybe cabinet shop and that's a totally different, different use case. So it's a demographic issue more than low, medium, and high quality, I think.
0: Now, I think we kind of veered off on a tangent here a little bit. So to kind of get get back (laughs) to what, uh, uh, who was it, Christopher? What Christopher was asking, um, when when you're looking at those middle ground tools, it's kind of a crapshoot. And you look at the reviews, and what winds up happening is people who like a brand really like a brand. So the person who loves their DeWalt sliding compound miter saw thinks that Makita is crap and the guy who owns the Makita and has had good luck with that thinks that the DeWalt is crap. So reviews are not really helpful. The way I look at it is most of these tools, as long as you avoid the bottom of the barrel, like you said, the Harbor Freight stuff, uh, if you spend a decent amount of money, you get an, a name brand, you are probably not going to be totally unhappy with the tool. We're talking about creature comfort, minor differences between all of those middle-of-the-road sort of brands. You know, so I don't think you can go wrong with either one. Honestly, my best advice, pick your favorite color. <laughs> go with that. You like yellow? Good. You like green? Go with that. Um, yeah. Do you have a, a very noisy cricket, or is that at my house? Nope, it's not here. I hear repeatedly. Yeah, I hear it. It sounds like it. a cricket who is having a really good time.
1: Yeah, I think it's just outside my window.
0: All right, I'll let you go hunt him down. <laughs> Come here, cricket.
1: Let me. Let me. Let me. At, well, well, go get out Kenny.
0: Get Kenny to go find the cricket.
1: Got a three pound mallet. I'll go find that cricket. (laughs)
0: There you go. Uh, All right. So, if you want to send us voicemails, either for questions or kickback, you can do that. Just uh, use your voice memo app and send that file to woodtalkonline at gmail.com. And now there's a little bit of this.
1: Update. Sing it, Shannon. Woohoo! This is a this is a quick one this week. Um, obviously, unless you've been hiding on a rock, you're very well aware that we are in hurricane season. Um, hurricane <laughs> Harvey was terrible. Uh, hurricane Irma looks terribler. And, uh, what is it? Jose sitting out there building steam and Katya sitting inside building steam. We're in hurricane season, which means plywood is in very, very short supply. Um, the, the plus when you add to that, the import plywood tariffs on Chinese plywood and things, there's been a a general shortage of that material to begin with. So it's kind of, forgive the expression, a perfect storm of plywood availability right now. Mm -hmm. Um, we have actually just kind of rerouted just about every truck we have down the coast filled with nothing but Marine grade plywood. And we still have people calling and screaming, going, I need more, I need more to the point where we're actually sending like the really good stuff, like the boat builders use to board up buildings because it's all that is available, which is, is a really dangerous thing because that stuff made in French mills and things, they have lower production, um, uh, quotas anyway because of the, just the level of detail and stuff that goes into those those sheets. So if you find that you are unfortunately in a situation where you're in the path of this storm and you're going to need some plywood, you better go get it now. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think that it might miss you if you're sitting up in Georgia and the Carolinas thinking, we well, you might be okay. I might need this later. I would advise you to go get it now. And you may have to get creative on where you're looking for it. Um, I think you will also find that a lot of the traditional companies that do nothing but wholesale, they're going to be dropping those things. This is becoming like humanitarian effort more than anything else. Um, we just got to get the materials into the area as, as fast as we can, you know, before you can't access it at all. So just be very, very aware that, um, Plywood of all shapes, marine plywood, hardwood plywood, you know, cre- crappy Chinese plywood. It's it's going to be gone. Um, wow. So get it now.
0: Do you find that there's opportunistic um, price gouging oh, yes. that happens oh. with
1: this? Oh yes, that's terrible. Um, now there are laws in place, yeah. anti gouging laws and things like that that are in place, but um, we've we've run into a couple instances in some of the calls that we made because our tack has been look, we've got a truck coming that way anyway. Um, we're going to put plywood on it, but do you kind of want to like call dibs? In other words, like Mm -hmm. it's going to show up. There's going to be plywood there. If you want some, it'd be better to tell us right now so that we can earmark some of it for you. And we've had a lot of instances of people who have been like, yeah, in fact, triple my orders. Like, do you need that much plywood? (laughs) I'm going to be able to sell it. And I'm like, come on now, (laughs) easy now. Um, and we've, we've certainly seen, um, heard feedback i should say from people down in in texas and certainly people down in florida Mm -hmm. and most definitely in the islands that like prices have just gone ridiculously i mean plywood in the islands is really expensive anyway just because you got to stick it on a boat to get it there but yeah you're gonna see it and it's really unfortunate but i think most of the above the board companies um yeah they're, they're not going to do that because yeah. it, it's just – talk about ruining a reputation, ruining relationships. relationship. <laughs> yeah, so,
0: it's really, really bad PR.
1: Yeah. Um, so it's just one of those things where we in the Amazon world tend to think, eh, no big deal. Add to cart and it will show up. Um, I think in the hand to world, we're a little bit more used to buying something and waiting six months for that <laughs> boutique tool to yeah. show up. Um, but the construction trade is not used to to going, I have to wait? Like, what now? Like, I got four trim carpenters showing up tomorrow. Um, And I think the general public is so used to the instant gratification, next day shipping Amazon thing, that it will come as a major shock to people um, that they can't actually, not only do they have to wait, it's just not possible. The stuff's not there. Yeah, I mean, at some point, access is going to be an issue, so there'll be no trucks coming or going. Um, Yeah, I'm, it's really scary, and I'm hoping that we can get ahead of it enough, but that, um Chinese plywood tariff really could not have come at the, the wrong time at yeah. at a worse time because that's generally the stuff the the cheap stuff that goes up on the sides of the buildings that's what goes in mm-hmm. uh, instead of marine fur <laughs> things like that so sure. be safe people and uh, mm, okay. Tom Iovino if you're listening buddy good work man yeah he's all up in that that man is busy yeah. this time of year he's emergency that's preparing idnesses right. is, is all of Florida
0: yeah crazy uh you know what's crazy all the years that we've done a show together we have never once had you have a cricket problem
1: and now all that's all you can hear
0: and i can, it, it it's it's driving me nuts <laughs> it's oh. really i don't I, ho, I don't know if it goes into the recording that way but at least into my headphones it's like there's a cricket on top of your head <laughs> it's like scratching his little legs hey, hey. now i can't hear you no 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 Turning, keep keep up. keep your volume where it is don't change your levels We'll we'll figure it out. We'll get through it. It's probably not as bad as it is for me listening to it. But
1: see, I've got my monitor turned way back, so I'm hearing it through my headphones. So it must be loud.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, enough about that stupid cricket. Uh, let's get into the email here. First one I have is from Joe. He says, hey guys, love the show. I'm a firefighter and my firehouse needs a new kitchen table. This is something that between the other guys and myself, we have the skills and tools to build. However, my question is about the size. On a daily basis, we have 11 guys at the table for meals and it's tight quarters. When we have visitors or ride alongside people, we have to eat at the kitchen counter uh, and they get made fun of for eating at the little kid's table. We want to build a table that will fit 14 comfortably and 16 in a pinch. How big should this be? is there a standard width per person that we should plan on uh, recommendation on length to width proportions sh- should be taken into account. Thanks for your input. FYI, this tabletop will probably be made out of honey locust log that I cut Ooh. down that we will chainsaw mill. Also, if you have any tips about working with 14 to 16 foot honey locust boards, that would be appreciated as well. Uh, last thing first, I have no tips, but it sounds big and, uh, get some help (laughs) to move those things around. (laughs) Uh, But as far as proportions and size, this is something that um, Cremona did a really good job of covering this in the farmhouse table build that he did in the guild. So some of this information comes from that, some of it comes from other things that I've researched. So um, as far as a recommendation, there is a per person figure that you could play with, but it's a range. Um, Cremona's recommendation was 29 inches per person at a table and that's pretty generous. Right? So, that's if you're doing like a really nice large dining room situation. You want everybody to have plenty of room for maybe even multiple plates and their drinks and, and utensils and all that stuff. Um, something's crawling up my leg. Okay. That's so, me. <coughs> Shannon, get off my leg. Uh, 29 inches <laughs> per see. person is very generous. And you could reduce down to probably at the low end, 18 inches per person. That's going to be pretty tight. So you have a range there. Uh, I read another article that said um, for restaurants where this stuff is standardized because of you know occupancy limitations and things like that. Tell Kenny if he's going to do something, to make himself useful. Get that damn cricket. Eat cricket. Eat cricket. <laughs> Go eat the cricket. Go eat the cricket. So if you are looking at a bar, for instance, they allow 24 inches per bar stool. So you need at least that much length to accommodate a certain number of bar stools. So I think 24. In your situation, you're probably talking about big guys eating, throwing food around like a bunch of maniacs. Big,
1: beefy firemen. Big, beefy
0: firemen all eating with your shirts off and your hairy chests. I know what this is like. I've been there before. Um, So I think 18 is going to be a little bit tight. 29, who knows? I don't know how big the space is that you have, but that sounds pretty generous. If you do the math on that, that's a big, big table. I would back it down to that 24, i think twenty four we 're not talking about you know a restaurant experience here we 're talking about a bunch of guys getting some food so they can go out and do some stuff uh, so if you calculate it at twenty four each side could accommodate seven people and then, if you need the extra two people that 's a total of uh, uh, what you call it fourteen people if you need the extra two you 've got the ends. You could always pull up another chair, have them sit at the ends. so that 's what I would aim for that 's about um, at twenty four inches that 's about fourteen feet long. Uh, The other dimension is the width. And again, going back to Cremona's recommendation, 32 inches is going to give you a very tight table, intimate. You're going to be in in people's faces pretty much. Uh, 44 Mm. inches at the top end is going to be a very wide table if you're doing like family style food on there. That might be good because then you could have each person's plate plus the serving plates and things in the center. So there's your ranges, 32 to 44 and then of course on the other end, 18 to 29. So use those as a basis with the space you're putting this into and the material you have to see if you can't come up with an appropriate number.
1: Yeah, if you look at like smaller dining tables, like a dining table you would put in like an apartment dining room, they use that 18 inch measure, mm-hmm. um, and and it gets pretty tight. If you go, I would say never go below that because it's just, yeah, then it's a kid's table. It is, yeah. Um, but it, it'll get pretty tight, but I also find that the the depth measurement 18 is a good measurement there uh, as far as your reach in front of you. And then if you add like space in the middle, like another 12 inches or so in the middle to put the plates, you Mm -hmm. know, family style dining, the runner, the candles, the, the fruit centerpiece, whatever it is, which we fully
0: expect on a a firehouse lunch table. Absolutely. A runner yeah. and some fruit and
1: candles. A, a nice silk runner uh, and an axe. Uh, yeah. Just a big axe right, right in the middle. Yeah. You know, you need you need a little bit of space in the middle there. So add 10, 12 inches to that 36 and, you know, suddenly you're in that 44, 46 range.
0: Yeah. Um, There's a big table no matter what you do. Yeah. It's going to be a big one.
1: No doubt. All right. Out of nice light locusts. Yes. <laughs> That's
2: going to be fun. Yeah, it is. Right
0: on. Well, they're big, they're big, burly, hairy firemen, so it's fine.
1: Yeah. Just make sure you can get it through the door to the room. That's true. That you're going into. Always
0: consider that. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, let's see. This one comes from Dave. He says, I'm going to start working more with hand tools, particularly chisels and planes. and I'm looking at buying a sharp 3000 to sharpen them because I don't have the patience to sit and hone with stones. <laughs> have you heard or have any experience with this tool? Um, I have had experience with that tool. I had a WorkSharp for uh, four or five years, um, and I did... I put it as graduate to stones, but that is makes some sort of intimation that the workshop is, is less than stones. It's just an entirely different method. Essentially it's a scary sharp sandpaper method. It'll give you a flat bevel. It's highly repeatable. Um, and since I owned it, they've added all kinds of little bells and whistle add on things. You can, um, they had the plain, uh, plain blade, like wider plane blade thing that sat on top. Um, I never tried that, but, um, it's really easy. I mean, it's a great, I think, great entry point. If you don't have any experience sharpening, you can get a strop, you can get all kinds of different, um, what's the word grits. Mm -hmm. Um, and if I remember correctly, that had an, even an add on now that does knives and like draw knives and things like that. So, um, the biggest issue I had with it was, it was very limited on what types of tools that I could use. Um, now not so much anymore. So, I say go for it. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And in my experience, the resale value was really good. When I decided to get rid of it, I I don't think I lost any money on the deal. Nice.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Okay, so we have one question we're going to share since there's no Cremona in the house. We're going to take a question here from Gabe Buckner. Uh, by the way, Gabe is a very high Patreon level supporter and he's actually at that producer level. So when he asks a question, Shannon and I hop, we jump on it because we're serious <laughs> about this. Uh, he says, how do you charge for commission work? Do you charge half up front and wait until the project is completed? Uh, what about a project completion timeline? How do you explain it to the client? Now, I think both of us can say we haven't really done a lot of client work in recent years. Um, mm-hmm. am, is that true for you as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, But you know, if I were to do it, and nothing really changes in this regard. Um, a lot of what happens with charging uh, and doing work for clients, uh, especially if you're, you're new at it, you just don't necessarily have the experience. And I can fully admit early on how many times i mispriced projects and i misestimated my project in terms of time and how long it would take and by the time i actually did the math i would look at my per hour price and i'd be like i just made 2 dollars an hour <laughs> you know and that is a matter of experience and if you don't have that experience you are kind of flying blind because if you can't look at a project and you know, fairly accurately estimate how long it's going to take, you, that's not something you necessarily need to explain to the the client. You could always say, yeah, I think a professional way to approach it is like, hey, I'm a, a one-man shop. This is a custom project. There's always little things that could give us hiccups in a timeline, but you give them a range, and maybe that range is plus or minus a week, you know, or plus yeah. or minus a couple of days. If you can't get that, if you can't narrow it down that much, then you, I mean, I don't I don't want this to sound harsh, but you might not be ready to take on clients yet. Um, you should be able to give a rough approximation and meet that deadline. Because now we're not talking about, hey, let's just go in the shop and have some fun. You are taking money for a project and you need to represent yourself in a very professional way. Um, so yeah, give yourself a little bit of slack, but make sure that you, know, you understand this person's paying money. There's an expectation of service and an expectation that you know what you're doing. Um, so- That's usually how I handle it. I do let them know uh, that there are things that can happen to delay a project, but my anticipated completion time
1: is this. As far as- I I think there should be a a fair amount of time put into that planning as well. I mean, whether you're charging or not, you're always going to do better the more you can kind of break down that project um, and get as granular as you want. Mm -hmm. How long is this going to take me? And in fact, I find that I stay on task more the more like specific I get. Um, and if I get to a point where it's like I have a task and I can't estimate how long it's gonna take, I probably haven't broken it down enough. Yeah. So that may be an area where if you find you're like, I don't know how long it'll take me to cut those dovetails, well, what are the steps to cutting the dovetails for that drawer and mm-hmm. start to kind of break it down that way? And if nothing else, it's going to keep you on track and just make you more efficient. Because yeah. at this point, it's all about hourly rate, right? You know, labor mm-hmm. time. So you you want to get as close to it as you possibly can. And then a lot of people, the customers that I deal with day in and day out, they always tell me, I double it. You know, I take that number and I double it. Um, and for the most part, they seem to be okay with that. I've got one guy that says he will automatically triple it, but he says <laughs> usually the customer balks and then he gets, it's kind of that, you know, uh, lead you give high them, type give thing. Them the, discount. the customer will balk and then he backs off to something around double the time.
0: Yeah. Well, and the thing is, I, I, when I was doing this more routinely and trying to acquire uh, clients, I didn't think this smart about it. And it's over the years, oddly enough, yeah. doing guild projects, I will take a calendar, I just print out a blank calendar, and I lay out each day what tasks I think I can accomplish in that project on that day. And once I lay it all out, and, and I'm, giving, I'm generous, I'm giving myself extra time. If I think it takes a day, I'm going to give myself a day and a half. You know, and as long as I keep doing that, I can look at the calendar and say, "Well, I should be done with this project by this time." As long as you're honest with yourself and you know how long these things will take, break it down the way Shannon said, but put those that breakdown onto an actual calendar, and you should be able to to see. And if I were doing a a client job now, that's exactly what I would do, and I, I learned that from
1: scheduling projects for the guild. Uh, yeah, no, no doubt. Like filming has been the best thing for me, being like um, organized yeah. and 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 task focused. Yeah. And and the more you can break it down and add a really like you know fat beat to the back of it, the more productive you're going to be. Break it down. Okay. Um. So the other question
0: is about money. Uh, do you charge up front or wait till the project's completed? For me, and I guess this is going to be a personal thing. I always charge 50% up front, and then I wind up getting collecting the last check at the time of delivery. For me, the pricing had always worked out so that that 50% covers my material cost and then some. So that if worst case scenario, you get totally stiffed, you at least haven't lost money on it. So you actually had the materials paid for plus a little bit of your time and effort and then you get stiffed and now you actually still have the ownership of the project that you could then sell to someone else, hopefully. Um, that's worst case scenario. Uh, that really hasn't ever happened to me, but it was always that just in case sort of thing. But um, I think most people, most clients are comfortable giving you a 50% deposit and then giving you the rest when the project is completed.
1: Yeah, I think the key there, and I've gotten bitten by this, is I've heard, you know, deposit to cover materials. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not enough. Um, right. Just just enough to cover those materials. Will you'll end up in a situation where now you've just covered the materials? Well, whoop de doo You can't sell them back. Like if you started, you know, sawing into it, you can't take that lumber back. Yeah. So if the customer bails, you're out all of it essentially, unless you can find a way to repurpose that lumber, uh, which may or may not be possible. But yeah, um, you want so. And I think I think fifty percent is pretty pretty market common
0: Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is the uh, project you're actually making if it's something extremely custom that you probably could not resell if that person just kind of bails on you uh, then you might consider taking a larger deposit if it's something that you're just making a little occasional table or something that you probably could move pretty easily maybe you can get away with taking a smaller deposit because you still have value in that final thing that you, you use the lumber to make uh, in the first place. So
1: yeah, yeah good point.
0: All right. I hope that helps you, Gabe. And, uh, that's going to wrap it up for the show here. So, uh, you can leave us an iTunes review if you want to, that always helps us out. We appreciate it. You could support the show at, uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash wood or you could pick up a wood talk t-shirt at twwstore.com. And Shannon, why don't you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here.
1: Sure. If you have comments, questions, topics, suggestions, or you want to chime in on our, uh, little, uh, format change and tell us how how much you disapprove please don't we will happily not listen to it Um, I feel bad enough (laughs) (laughs) just remember it's all Mark's fault no it's Matt's fault
0: he's not here you're right it's all Matt's fault it is Matt's fault he's (laughs) traveling so much he just can't do the show right
1: anyway we welcome your feedback we welcome your questions uh create a voice memo using your voice memo app on your smarty phone thing and send it to woodtalkonline at gmail.com you can use our contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact and uh you can always just go to woodtalkshow.com this particular episode scroll to the bottom enter a comment and state your piece Mm -hmm. we're on instagram you gotta love instagram woodtalkshow on instagram we're at woodtalkshow on twitter as well as on facebook we are everywhere at woodtalkshow Yeah, yeah. that.
0: All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. See you, bye.
1: Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage